Hello and welcome to the Comic Literate Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, penny dreadfuls, web comics, newspaper comics, uh, essentially any single frame illustrations where the uh, characters use bubbles to talk or think. I think that's a fair summary of the things we're going to be covering, right? I think that's a reasonable assessment. What's really upsetting is that my kitten chose that moment to climb the curtain. Oh yeah, he scaled the walls like Spider-Man. Yeah, like... she was on it, mate. How dare you misgender my cat? Oh god. It's because <laughs> I thought Spider-Man. I was like, that's the worst thing you can do in 2022. Is misgender a cat? Yeah. Oh, course. that will get you cancelled. Yeah. I mean, good thing we're starting off episode one on such a <laughs> first episode. No one listens, but they've already been cancelled. Like... And then we get picked up by Joe Rogan. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we end up on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about cat genders. Exactly. So that's not what the podcast is about. No, Should probably not even a little get that bit. across. Uh, but this is a podcast about comic books, graphic novels, the things I mentioned previously. Some, not all. Some were jokes. Some were real. Find out as we go. Um, I am your host, the soon-to-be known as Comic Stan, providing no one has trademarked that already. We will see. <laughs> But real name is Ryan, and with me, as always, even though it's only the first episode, is my host, uh, this guy right here, whose name is Jamie. Hello, my name is Jamie. I don't have a pseudonym. No pseudonyms? I mean, maybe we'll, like, make one for me, and we can just quietly... As we go, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I could make up a surname for you, like, each week, because obviously we're not using real surnames for the tax man, obviously. Yeah, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, um obviously also big thing uh this podcast will be doing swears so obviously because what's oh. the point of podcast if you can't do swears did i swear yeah of course like we were like less than a minute into it and that's we we're establishing very quickly so if there was any parents listening, oh let's check out this you like you like comic books let's turn on this oh god turn it off like we've established very quickly what we're about and what we're doing so but uh, I think we're off to a good start, uh, both in this episode and it being the first episode. I think we're doing well. Yeah. And the cat is the only unprofessional thing about our setup right now because people can't see. So they can't see where we are. So as far as they know, it's just the cat. We're and that's in, the only. <laughs> we're in a completely white sound studio. Yes. With a kitten. With very professional setup. Uh, there's no mic arms attached to chairs because the <laughs> table has a weird lip on it or anything no, like that. And so. the cat isn't bemused by the by the arm i'm amazed that the wires are still all intact it's um, incredible really then, isn't yeah. it because like when people say cat they might think of overactive cat she's still a kitten so like yeah. kids love things that hang off the side of tables that's like everything's a toy really, absolutely yeah no and we have filled this room full of low-hanging cables yes and foreign objects that she can play with at what point does this become the cat podcast? Like, is there a set amount of time where it's like, well, boys, you've spoken about cats for an hour, so now it's a cat podcast now. It is the internet. The podcast authority will come around. And... Yeah. I feel like this is no longer a comic book podcast. This is now the cat podcast. It's... Or and then we'll have to do like a, a comic book about cats. Does cat, the, the cats musical, did they ever have a comic book? Cause I we, bet they did. We could do that as like a key to get out of cats, out. transition back into comic books. Absolutely. One minute. You talk while I Google. So this is going to be a common theme, I think, uh, where one of us has to just fill dead air while the other, like, Googles something because we're not that quick at Googling. There are, um, there are multiple um, Cats the Musicals, most notably... Multiple musicals. This is the problem with Googling while you podcast is that you lose the ability to speak. It's why Joe Rogan Experience has the guy to Google, but then, but then. Do they have a guy? Well, they have a guy, right? <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a fan of Joe Rogan podcast, but I've, I've seen it, but they have a guy 
And then Joe just stares at him while he's going. <laughs> he just, he's like, Jamie, pull that up. And he just stares at him like. What's the point of him? He could yeah, just then, Google it. And then something comes up and he goes, he reads it in a kind of reading to himself kind of way. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> ape ripped a guy's face off. Mm-hmm, yeah, interesting. Anyway, like. Basically, we need to get that guy, a, yeah. a guy like that at some point for us. We'll hire someone once the money starts coming in, which I'm sure it will any day now. Yeah, any day now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think a thing to say up the top, I don't know if it's going to be every episode or not, but for any new listeners, I mean, everyone's going to be a new listener at this point, but any new listeners, this is a comic book podcast where the focus will be mainly on non-superhero comic books. Yeah, because fuck superhero comic books. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm the superhero guy, so I'm not quite on that <laughs> level, but- this, it's an underappreciated, under-focused area of the medium. And it's yeah, interesting absolutely. because it's the there's not many mediums where you have to be like, we're doing films. And so people are like, oh, horror films? Like, no, no, the, the rest of, or all of them, not just that one genre. Comic books is the only one that has that, where it's like, there's one genre that people assume you're talking about if you say. What's really interesting is comic books have now become so popular in film. That, that, that assumption almost exists now. Mm. Like, it would be difficult to talk about AAA films now without talking about Marvel. Yeah, exactly. They're becoming... Well, but they're becoming their own genre. But, like... Mm. But then equally, if you spoke to someone and... Oh, the cat's on me now. Um, <laughs> but equally, if you spoke if you spoke to someone and you, you were like, oh, let's watch a film. And they were, and if, if someone was like, oh, do you want to watch a film? You'd be like, oh, yeah, Marvel film. And they'd be like, oh, no, I was thinking something else. But for someone to be like, oh, I thought all films were superhero films. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But some people do think that about comics. Mm. Like the, the, they, some people have like superhero comics and then like, was it the Beano or the Dandy or something like that? You know? Yeah. But, um, or uh, where's Wally? Does that count? But the main thing is the focus is going to be on non-superhero comics. We are occasionally going to do superhero comics because there are some great ones there. We're going to mm. occasionally do some bad ones. We're going to, whatever's interesting, but the main focus is going to be on non-superhero comics because that's underappreciated. And we're going to, I think we both have a love of comic books as a medium, not as necessarily as superhero comics. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think, I think un- unserialized comic books. I know, yes. the one, I know the first one we're going to talk about is absolutely serialized. Um, but unserialized comic books, like graphic novels, are a really yeah. underappreciated kind of part mm. uh, genre in the medium. And to be fair, even the comic book we're doing today is, like, you can technically say it's serialized in the sense that, well, it was a continuing series. Yeah. But they, I think the difference you mean is, I don't know what the specific wording is, but like superhero comics that go on literally for decades and never yeah. stop versus... Ones that never stop versus comics that, like the one we're talking about today, has like a start and an end. And the only reason it goes on for years is because a lot of these comics are monthly releases. Yes. So if you look at something that's like 20 issues, that doesn't sound like much, but then it that's two years almost. Yeah. So it seems like a long time. And also, just as a preference, I... I much prefer reading comics in one go. I hate reading like one Are a you month. A binge reader. Yeah, because like when you every time the thing with comics, they're so small. Like the issues normally are so small that if you get one that you've been following, rarely they'll do like a summary of what's happened mm. so far. And if it was a month ago that you last read the last issue, which was only like twenty pages, yeah. And if they're particularly good, they're not just like story heavy. There's like some nuance and some mm. you know some story that take a while, a bit slow burner. I must admit. Every comic book that I've read that has been ongoing, I've put picked up and put down in a way that I haven't with something that was already finished. Yeah, because you can just 
get through it. A little clue as to what we're talking about today. That happened yeah. to me really badly with Saga. Okay, right. Where... Well, you got into Saga. We both did. It's still not finished. I know. And yeah, it would. I would, I would wait six months and read six issues at a time mm. as opposed to buying an issue every month. Buying an issue. <laughs> Nobody buys these things, do they? I mean, for all legal purposes, they are all bought and paid for and everything like Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yes. So you mean like physically buying a copy versus like yeah. just getting it on Comixology or whatever Absolutely, the online yeah. retailer is. I'm at a thing where I read all my comics online, but if I there's a particular issue of something that I like, I'll go out of my way to get a physical mm. one. Mainly because I just like going into comic book shops. And oh, like, they're great, I, aren't they? But I see some people who like, oh yeah, they get their like monthly order of like all Marvel and DC. And I'm like, how do you have room in your house? For, like, <laughs> how, where are you, what are you doing with them? Are you binning them afterwards or what? Like, we, we were in New York recently and mm. we went into an amazing comic book store, which I forget the name of. It was in Williamsburg because mm. of course it was in fucking Williamsburg. Um, but it was this really cool independent comic book store. And they had these huge boxes of like vintage and unsold comics. And they were incredible. They were so cool. Like some of them were so old, the pages were starting to brown. And those ones were, in like uh, individual plastic seals. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. And they were like a dollar a piece. And I could have spent a hundred dollars in there quite happily on a, just a huge stack of them. But then you look around your tiny place that you live and go, I haven't got room for a physical comic book collection. Yeah. Like there's such, I think they're more burdensome than other media because they stack up so quickly don't they yeah there's a thing that i've heard in the comic community where so like some comic book collectors they have what's called yard boxes yeah and they'll literally like fill rooms with these yard boxes and then they'll like use those i'm being attacked by a cat one minute yeah me did she get you? <laughs> oh, mate, she got you. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Just honestly, mate, she's not a dog. She's a cat. You can throw her. That's all right. Animal cruelty. <laughs> First episode, cancelled. <laughs> they threw a cat. We're going to be like that woman with the cat in the bin. And t- you know what? That video was, was evil. Like, that woman yeah, was yeah, a bitch. Yeah. But if a cat was attacking you, punt it across the road. Absolutely, like, yeah. D- Self-defense against a cat. Like, the, the one in the video was doing nothing, but, like, if a cat's attacking you, like, yeah. they have at like, it. Like, I am very fond of my cat, but she is being a dick to you right now. <laughs> yeah. It might be that you reek of dog. <laughs> I've got, well, maybe. I've definitely got um, battle battle scars from this podcast <laughs> already. It's intense. It's extreme podcasting. I mean, no one can say, I'm, no one can say they're more dedicated to the art of podcasting <laughs> than me at this point. <laughs> No one has been attacked by a live animal while listening to their co-host talking, just going, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, yeah, lovely, mm-hmm, wonderful, yeah. yeah. Excuse me, I just, I'm just going to pass out for two seconds. Uh, it uh, it yeah. is time for her to be yeeted. She's given me the eyes now. She's like, the, you know, those eyes like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then she's one, one second from attacking again. <laughs> right, this is not good content for, for listening people. Just know there's a small black kitten that has drawn blood. That's all you need <laughs> to know. So the comic that we'll be diving into first, I think is a very special one for mm. us especially. I mean, it's one of the, I would go so far as to say that generally it's one of the most popular comics of all time. Um, is it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's one of, the, at least one of the most, the writer's one of the most uh, popular comic writers. Um, but for me personally, it's my favorite comic book of all time. And the other thing is, it's the first comic book that you read, because I got it you is. into it. Yeah, it is. So it's special in a lot of ways. Oh, mate, she needs to be yeeted. All right, there you go. 
We will fight again one day. <laughs> we, will. we will do battle once In again. In Valhalla, we will <laughs> fight and feast anew. I'm going to need banjos. Anyway. <laughs> So the comic we're discussing after the cat has done, uh, she's got a box now, she's fine, she'll, she'll be preoccupied. The comic we're talking about today is Why the Last Man. Yes. And as I said, it's special, it's my favourite, uh, it's a, just a generally great comic book and it's just a great place to start because I think it really, um, it really embodies that kind of uh, independent comic vibe for me, I think. Yeah, I agree. There's I been would agree. famous comics before, but the ones that were famous before, I think, were big superhero ones or superhero adjacent. Yeah. So the uh, this was so it was released 2002. So it's kind of that era where comics started being taken seriously as pieces of literature. Um, yeah. There, obviously, there's going to be ones before that which did well. I think the the most notable. One before that was like, for example, um, Sandman. Yeah, that was one that, that was like the late nineties, which was, I think, the, that one's kind of widely considered like the first taken seriously comic. But what's interesting yeah. is that the Sandman was released under the Vertigo title of DC, which is also what this one was released under. Yeah. So that's part of what we're going to get into now. I've just got some copied uh, text from Wikipedia just about the comic, and for people who are like. Mm, you shouldn't be using wikipedia it's like right fuck off about anyone who's taking the piss out of wikipedia needs to fucking step back right because wikipedia is a <laughs> valuable valuable tool and asset and i hate that there's a thing there's a culture now where teachers are like mm, you know anyone can change your wikipedia it's like there are people literally manning it and providing sources for everything that's on there so oh this free encyclopedia this open source exactly. gets vandalized every once in a while fuck off anyone who has ever taken the piss out of wikipedia or, or denied its usefulness needs to go there and donate today and I don't, I don't work for Wikipedia. But Has anybody saying. ever actually donated to Wikipedia? I donated. They asked me like a hundred times, and like how much did you give them? Like two quid. I was, they were literally like, if you if you give us two pound, we'll probably be all right. Yeah. And I was like, I fucking use it like every day, so yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give some. Um, but yeah, it's this is from Wikipedia. If you're like, oh, that's actually wrong, it's like, well, take up with them. But you know, they're decent. Or go but, and change it. Yeah, go on and change it, but provide sources. That's the thing. The sources are all there. They all yeah. link to the third-party sources. They're like, well, you can't use Wikipedia because you're not giving sources. The, the sources are on the page. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I get bent up about this. Do you get upset with people? This is going to be weekly. This is going to be like every episode. It's going to be like, and another thing about Wikipedia. <laughs> We've become the cat Wikipedia podcast. Yeah. So when are they getting to the comics? Like, first we do cats, Wikipedia, probably something else. So, as summarized in Wikipedia, Wild Last Man is a post-apocalyptic science fiction comic book series by Brian K. Vaughan and, I hope I'm pronouncing it, Pia Guerrera, uh, published by Vertigo from 2002-2008. The series centers on Yorick Brown and his pet capuchin monkey ampersand, the only males who survive the apparent global androcide, which I'm guessing is the male version of the whatever the female version of that is. Yeah. Um, the series was published in 60 issues by Vertigo and collected in a series of 10 paperback volumes and later a series of five hardcover deluxe volumes, which I believe I think is how we read it was the 10 volumes. Yeah. The series covers uh, were primarily by J.G. Jones and Massimo Cannavale, or Cannavale, and the series received three Eisner Awards. Now, this is what I was going to say before about um, comics being considered literature is... The Eisner Award, as I recently discovered, and I should probably should have known beforehand, but the Eisner Award is essentially the comic book Oscar. So mm. now because of the, 
the uh, the quality of comics that have received the Eisner Awards that they have elevated the award to be considered like alongside a literature award now. So the fact that this series received three Eisner Awards is is pretty good in itself. I think yeah. the writer, Brian K. Vaughan, he's won like a bunch of Eisner Awards over the course of his career, which is why we're probably going to be coming back to a lot of his comics as we go. I mean, for reference, um, previous Eisner winning comics are Watchmen, mm. uh, The Killing Joke, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, Alan Moore's From Hell. Um, he's in good company, isn't he? Mm. A little side side tidbit. I read the there was some news today uh, about the Watchmen TV show, and it mm. just came out that Alan Moore was basically shitting on the the TV show, and he's basically like, <laughs> "It's embarrassing." They asked me to be a part of it, blah blah blah. Whatever. I don't like it. I'm mad more from Birmingham, and it makes me upset. Yeah. yeah, the guy who thinks he's a wizard is like, "This <laughs> this is embarrassing." <laughs> I never knew because I've read so much Alan Moore stuff, and I didn't know what he looked or sounded like until I saw the advert for his masterclass, mm. and it's like. I'm just going to teach you how to be a better writer. Like, fucking yeah. hell, is that Alan Moore? He looks mad. The amazing thing about Alan Moore is he is easily one of the best comic book writers of all time. Incredible. Like, un- Incredible. Undeniably. He's an amazing talent. He's one of the best writers. Gen- I would put him one of the best writers of all time, regardless of medium. Mm. He's also one of the easiest people to take the piss out of. He is, isn't like, he? He's just so, like, every time it's like, I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> I- Eddie, why are you remaking my comic book? <laughs> Take my name off it. It's like fucking, just calm down, mate. Just collect the like. Who cares? Like, He's more picky than Tolkien was. Yeah, of course. And that's why, like, the latest news was that he just didn't like the new. He, he didn't even watch the new. Show, but that's, <laughs> but that's the thing. Is like that he like he knew of it and was yeah, just yeah, embarrassed yeah. by the concept. He's like the <laughs> fact that they did anything with his comic after he abandoned it it's like it's like finding out someone else you abandoned your child and then someone else came in a race and you're like how dare you that's embarrassing i want nothing to do with that kid and you're like maybe that's a stretch maybe that's a stretch too far but the main point is comparing new- alan moore with parental abandonment yeah but of his comic his comic book sorry <laughs> of children. his comic book child yes the main thing is the story was he didn't like the show he found it embarrassing and i was literally like you could have given me the prompt for the that news article the title and i could have guessed easily like, alan moore says something negative about remake of it yeah, like anyone yeah. that would be like the worst like mad lib guess the <laughs> guess the missing quote kind of like alan moore thinks blank about watching remake. <laughs> like is it it shit or should never <laughs> Which have been is ironic because his first really really popular work was literally just a remake of jack the ripper yeah and that was his first one i think to be fair he even he would have some kind of like I, I was interested by this existing thing and had this interpretation of it. Yeah, maybe. From Hell's pretty good. I like From Hell. Yeah, I have not read From Hell. It is one I need to read. Uh, so I would say my favourite Alan Moore title. I mean, Watchmen is the obvious answer. Um, I really liked uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Original comic. It's I like really amazing. Vendetta as well. V Vendetta is amazing as well, yeah. And we're all going to be covering these, but today... <laughs> we're talking said, about something completely We're doing different. Wide Last Man. And to be fair, like that whole thing, it lends credence to the whole the Eisner Award thing. Like, yeah. This, this comic book was so good that it won three of them. Um, I think it's good to kind of check in as where the creators were at the time as well. So... Brian K. Vaughan, the writer. Um, I think I'm going to gravitate more towards writers because I, I story artists. to me is a bit more story to me is a bit more important than than art. But I still see the the value of art. Like it takes like great art to really 
get a comic book off the ground and you know, half, express. I mean, half of the medium is the visual storytelling. Exactly. Yeah. I think for me, the page layout is almost as important as the art. For sure, yeah. Like panel layout, because that dictates the way a comic scans for mm. me. Panel layout is one of those really interesting things because it's hard to place who actually did what for that. Yeah, yeah, Because normally people, it's quite like writer writes a story, artist does the art, blah, blah. But sometimes the writers, they literally will write just like a screenplay mm. and then that gets adopted. And sometimes they write per panel. So mm. they say panel one, this, panel two, this. Um, sometimes they'll just number the panel. So they'll just yeah. say there's six on the page, do them have you want. And then some literally go panel here, top left quadrant uh panel two top right quadrant mm. like they'll literally like be like this is exactly what you need to put in and how it fits they and will this is the one pager and they'll fully storyboard it exactly yeah. so that's an it's interesting you bring up that specifically because that's one thing where i think you need to almost know specifically who has done what on this yeah so i don't have panel layout on this uh so it could be vaughn it could be guerrero but we'll see but Vaughn is an interesting one here because when we talk about superhero comics earlier, he had written for Marvel and DC. Oh, had he? Uh, almost exclusively, I'd say, at least in terms of like professional or well-known stuff. He'd done Marvel and DC, uh, did X-Men, Spider-Man, Captain America, and then for DC, like Batman and Green Lantern. He also did a bit of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic for Dark Horse comics. But apart from the Buffy one, the, the, uh, the superhero ones are like the generic, like, are you a writer for Marvel or DC? Here's some titles. Right, have okay. a go on each of them kind yeah. of thing. So, but it's interesting that he didn't have any massive credits before then. He was just kind of a staff writer and just churned out these ones. I've not heard of his runs of any of these, so. But nothing special. No, his biggest thing super-wise, it was after um, Y, was a, a series he created for Marvel called The Runaways. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've read some of that. And that's interesting as well, because again, even though it was a Marvel superhero comic, he all, even then he had to have his interesting spin on it, which was that the, um, the children who were the stars were the children of supervillains. Yeah. And that's the premise. So even then when he was doing his Marvel DC, like big acclaimed run, he was still doing this, like, what would be an interesting way to look at like, not just the characters, but the entire Marvel world. So it was like these supervillains were like normal humdrum um parents in their spare time and but i think supervillains. i think it's really interesting because that is a consistent theme in his work this idea of running away from something mm. so you look at yorick yeah i think i think this is a nice segue into the yeah yeah 100 um well good segue thank you <laughs> thank you very much um Yor yorick is like consistently on the move running away from something like, there's mm. always this external pressure on Yorick, isn't there? Yes. To be something or to be someone. And that's kind of part of his journey for me is actually learning, is, 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 try, is learning what it is he actually wants to become. Mm. Um, and I imagine that one of the reasons that he wrote a story where he took all the other men away is so that he could really explore what Yorick's masculinity meant to him in isolation. Mm. And that's specifically running from masculinity almost and like mm. responsibility. Uh, just looking at his works, getting a bit, a bit ahead, but his works after Y, his big ones, obviously Runaways was one. And that was running away from the responsibility of like, you know, par like the parents, the legacy, the parents are instilling on their children and following in their footsteps and all that and morality. 
Um, he had a series post Y called Ex Machina, Ooh. which is a fantastic series. He's one of his more underrated ones. Like people don't talk about as much as, as his other stories. But the plot of that is an ex superhero becomes uh, the mayor of New York. Yeah. And literally doesn't want to be a superhero anymore, but he's drawn back. So again, that's kind of like he's running away from mm. what he was doing before and the, his call to arms and the, yeah. the way he was helping society versus now as a politician. And then after that was Saga. And that's literally he's, two people running away from their species. I mean, literally, Saga is really interesting. It's fascinating because it's so zeitgeisty when you think about it is two people who are literal refugees of war. Mm. And cho- chosen to be like they yeah, ran away. Absolutely. But they're, yeah, they're, they're, pe- they're two people who have been displaced due to war. And then they have this child that fits into neither culture, but that child wouldn't exist were it not for the war. Mm. They are, they are, they are war refugees. It's incredible, really. Mm. Um, but just in space with yeah. boobies. Oh yeah. Lots of, uh, so tits many tits and dicks and asses. There's a common theme, not beyond the sexual, but also the whole running away from responsibility. I think it just mm. inherently makes for an interesting, it's that, you know, the, a story needs a, was it like a, a resistance or something for the, the main character, the protagonist to resist against. Yes. So in Brian K's Vaughan, he uses something societal for them to run away from in these really interesting ways. Mm. Um, before we forget as well, uh, the, uh, I said, I do tend to gloss over the artists. I, 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 I take for granted the art of comic books, I think. Yeah. So just to pay uh, proper dues as well, uh, Pia Guerrera uh, actually started off as a voiceover actor, um, worked on like video games and such. Yeah. And then kind of created storyboards for uh, Boeing, um, employees, credit union, Microsoft series, basically some like basic kind of like uh, artistic, commercial artistic work kind of stuff. And then somehow, I don't have uh, here exactly, but got into contact with Brian K. Vaughan and was like, hey, let's make a comic book together. And then they made Wild <laughs> Last Man. So that's kind of crazy as well. Um, yeah, first major product was Wild Last Man, co-created, and then various titles since, but definitely her big break as well. So I'm interested what the dynamic of having, for this kind of story, a male writer and a female um, artist. They said male, female, like, like fucking... Like those things exist anymore. I would say like an tell man, man activist bloody thing. <laughs> but I'm a, a guy writer and a woman artist, I wonder how much, maybe if she had any input on the story or if any, even just like re- for reference, like, because most of the characters are female. So that, did she yeah. have any kind of import or was it all Brian K. Vaughan? Like, uh, it's not a question I'm going to be answered by this. It's, it's interesting to think about. Like, I think I think it's really interesting that, a comic book where most of the character models were female had a female artist. I feel like that would make it better um, because the nature of the story necessitated that most of the character models were female. Exactly. And so I think actually it made sense to have a female artist draw them Mm. because, you know, the male gaze on the female form is such that I don't think it would have been as good. Mm. And I don't like to generalize, but I don't think it would have been as good. Mm. But and, then this comes back to the whole, how much autonomy does the artist have on any yeah. kind of given comic book? Something I found really interesting, and I will find it for the show notes, mm. is after I read Why, last time I read it, I was enjoying it so much that I read all of it, including all of the bits at the backs of the books. And I found a bunch of um, Pierre Piers? Pierre Guerrera. Pierre Guerrera's. I found a bunch of Piers 
like iterations like um uh stencils or uh pencilings yeah their pencil drawings when they were developing the characters yeah and i found the ones of 335 and 335 started off in i don't know if it was brian's original notes as a white woman um but she landed as a black woman firstly but with less um exaggerated female characteristics Mm. And I think that that suited her character so well because three three five was this incredibly athletic, pragmatic character. Mm. And so I think actually, had it not been for Pia's iterations and characterization of her, she wouldn't have been as rich a character. Mm. And so I think actually, now that I think about it, just based on the iterations I saw of some of the character models. Piers' influence over the way the story went probably goes deeper than we thought it might have done. Yeah, it's really interesting because, like, again, when we can theorize and we can speculate, but we're never really going to know mm. like what which individual idea came from where. They have that somewhat with like it's interesting comparing comparing to like films and such because with films there's there's a hundred credits and you know who exactly did what. Like yeah. you've got the storyboards and everything. And it's interesting that, like, with comic books, because it's such a limited thing, you don't know if, like, did this idea come from this person, this person, this character model, this characteristic or whatever. It's interesting you said about 355, because she definitely feels almost like of two worlds, almost. And that's a common theme, I think, amongst some of the, the main female characters, because they were essentially brought up in a world of men like the the world we know now yeah. um but they are they a lot of the female characters did adapt in their own ways and 335 kind of feels almost like the positive masculinity aspect <laughs> she's tough she you know no she's acting like she knows exactly what needs to be done at any moment she's controlling of the situation she's that that saves the day most of the time like she's you know that embodiment and so she, yeah, so she carries some of the traits that would traditionally be associated with masculinity. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, 335 is my favorite character. She's fantastic. Her art. Mm. Even over the first few volumes. But say, before we get into that, yeah. I think if we do a kind of um, slow build, well, if we do in sections, and I think if we start off with like a uh, very generic of the story, um, kind of a plot summary and also like a plot summary characters setting that kind of thing without, me <laughs> without giving any of the information and then we'll get to like spoiler stuff as we go okay one other thing before we get into that that i just want to get across as well what i found interesting is the publisher of the comic and for, of all comics yeah image. vertigo so vertigo was basically an arm of dc comics and the reason it's uh, interesting is it was their mature readers section so it literally came back where like they had these stories that they did not or basically couldn't be asked to run past what they called the comics code authority. So they wrote they made them for adults. Exactly. So the problem with the problem they had before was comics, if you wanted to be approved, you had to be approved by the comics code authority and you had to be approved to be mass sold. But the problem was Comics Code Authority were a bunch of fascist assholes. Like they, right. the stuff they banned was ridiculous. Like it was that uh, it was that hype from like the 80s parents complaining about, you know, rock music had like mm. satanic messages and, you know, Nixon and all that bollocks. So the Comics Code Authority, they just like completely uh, wound down and just 
distilled everything to like the most blandest basic like don't you know nothing too offensive no blood no violence fair enough but like like character can't be like bad or do drugs because they you know, might think they're bad yeah, or, okay like stanley pushed for like an episode where he pushed for one of his characters to like become addicted to drugs because he wanted to do stories so that that got the message about drug addiction out mm. and they were like well they have to be a bad person if they're addicted to drugs and so I was like, well, no, that's not the point. Like, it has to be wow. an empathetic character, like that kind of dumb stuff. But so DC apparently, and it was going to always going to happen. They were like, well, there's a, mu- we don't, no one has to abide by the Comics Code Authority, but you need it to be mass sold. So they were like, there is a, there is a, an audience, a market for adult comics because they were being sold and created before the Comics Code Authority came mm. in. So let's just make a title. So it's very clear, adults only, mature, not for children. We don't need to check with the Commerce Code Authority. And that started um, initially things like Sandman, uh, mm. which did a lot of... Weird to think that's like kind of ethereal dream-like state, but they did a lot of like violence and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. dark stories as well. They also did Hellblazer, which is uh, the yeah. Constantine, Constantine, depending on your pronunciation. But they uh, started those kind of titles, and then that was in, like, early 90s. And then we come 10 years-ish later to Why the Last Man. And what was interesting, especially as well, is they had their own comics under this band, the DC comics, like Damon and Hellblazer. Yeah. But then the early noise, they started doing creator-owned comics, and that's why was one of the first of those. So very, if you write and do the art for the comic... You are the owners of the title, the intellectual property, everything. Yeah. And I think that especially appealed to Brian K. Vaughan because he came off of writing for Marvel and DC where you are literally like, you are hired as a writer, you write for a bit and then they bin you off. Yeah, absolutely. Or they give you another title or whatever. And he was like, this was his first kind of passion project of his own. So that's why I think it's a good place to start with like these types of comics that aren't like serialized superhero ones Mm. this is kind of embodiment of a creator being like right i'm gonna do my own thing that i own and it wasn't the first but i think it's one of the biggest ones of the earliest yeah so because like people point to like sandman and hellblazer i keep mentioning those they're the two that i've got my notes (laughs) in front of me but like those are like the Sandman is is associated with Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Like he again a big, uh, well known, well um, revered comic writer. But their characters owned by DC. Mm. So despite Neil Gaiman making it what it is, he never owned the character. I think he has yeah. he owns it now. I don't know how uh, he finagled some way of like. I think they brought him back and he was like, look, give me the rights and I'll like, I'll write <laughs> some more comics. I think he did something like that, but. Basically, yeah, this was the adults-only arm of DC, which is why this is a uh, definitely a more adult-themed comic. Yeah, it's um, it deals with things like politics in a in a in a very knowing way, in a way that kind of presumes an age and level of education of its readers. Oh, for sure, yeah. And they, they said they has to presume they are adults because it's maybe yes. an adults-only comic. And I think, yeah, I think I think it's really interesting that they placed Yorick's mum in the White House. Hmm. So there's only so much we can get into without giving some of the story away because the story changes from, like, like issue one. So as I said before, it's a, a, a disease that kills all the men, specifically all the Y-chromosome uh, mammals of the planet, except for the main character, Yorick Brown, and his uh, monkey ampersand. 
um it, they start the issue right before the disease hits so yeah. it's literally like yeah, the yeah. day of almost but it gives you the setting the characters what they're doing just before it all hits and then it hits and then it's it's apocalypse almost from mm. there. oh it's pure apocalyptic isn't it well this is what i was literally going to get into is it's interesting you think of it as apocalyptic um it'd be apoc- it'd be apocalyptic if half of the population in any sense died but then on the other other side you can also say we're well, only half <laughs> but so but it's half because this is back in 2002 where in even still today most positions of power are occupied by men by somebody with a white chromosome exactly yeah. so the fact that they're all gone you've then suddenly got this like well you've got the woman left behind who have to be like what what do we do now how do we pick ourselves up from this mm. so it, it it it's what's good about the comic is how it's it's personalized to the individual stories of the characters but by doing that it because of the positions of the characters it tells the larger story of mainly the country it looks at the world a bit but it's mainly of america as a country oh it's very america centric isn't it mm. yorick leaves america twice spoilers we I, we can't <laughs> i don't do you, are we are we going spoiler free we haven't talked about this well okay so if we start off with as i said the generic like if you were just describing it without giving anything away in terms of like plot points post apocalypse shall we say so like the setting is where they are now like one point i was going to make was that it's the having yorick's mum being a i believe a senator she's uh, a senator yeah senator so she's got that front row what is the top of the top of the you know country how are they reacting how are they yeah. dealing with everything um and I think that's it's kind of a cheat code in a sense for something like this like put someone in a position of power then you see how the power reacts to this devastation. And and he did it with both of the female members of Yorick's family because he placed um hero Yorick's sister mm. as an EMT. And so she's kind of like grounds even though everywhere is ground zero she's especially at ground zero. Yeah, so you see how two different aspects of the institution react to this mm. apocalypse level threat um yeah and it's very very quickly are we allowed are we allowed spoilers yet are we allowed to get into it yet well i'll make a few points just uh, about the setting and i think generally the writing like the writing is again one of my favorites of any comic um and brian cave one's one of my favorite comic writers and i think that really comes across in how the dialogue exposition i'm always like whenever i watch anything like film tv anything i'm always very kind of like when someone gives information in a in a heavy-handed way where you can you can see the writer being like pay attention to this tidbit of information it's going to yeah. come important later or they're just getting across like god i can't believe i have to deal with this on a monday on a 9 a.m in the in the office and you're like okay so i know where you are what the time is what the day of, you know that kind yeah. of stuff i feel like this uh dialogue gets across the exposition in such a great way yeah his dialogue's really naturalistic like i remember um there's that scene really early on isn't there where yorick is there's a mexican standoff outside the white house Mm. with the wives of the republican politicians yes and the remaining democrat politicians because surprise surprise in america there's more female democrats than there are republicans and Yorick's mum steps out and they kind of, he's done something clever there. He's mm. made a clever observation about the political makeup of America, but we get that through exposition with his mum. 
Mm. And I think that's really interesting. And it's, yeah, no, it is, his, his, his dialogue writing is pleasant. Not just his dialogue, but also how he, his assumptions on what the world would be like after the disease happens. It's either that would probably happen or it's a commentary on our world now. So like the fact that the Republican wives are like, well, we should get our husband's husband's seats and the Democrats, the women Democrats who were actually voted in, like, well, no, it doesn't work like that. We're not going to change the rules just because of this happening. So um, stuff like that, I think, is is such amazing writing. The dialogue comes in very handy as well with like little things like male characters incorrectly referring to female characters, uh, their titles incorrectly. So on the one hand, you show the the ignorance of men generally yeah. but you also have the women correcting them and then that's like oh like Bjork's mum someone calls her something else she goes actually it's senator yeah no go, she she is a senator they call it he yeah it's one of the senators calls her congresswoman exactly so it's it's cl- very clever dialogue exposition is what i'm in a really roundabout way trying to get across yeah um one thing that's interesting as well is the uh something you brought up before we actually properly got into the this the Bechdel test the Bechdel test uh, for anyone who doesn't know what the Bechdel test is um the Bechdel test was established by Alison Bechdel actually in a comic strip it comes from a comic strip and it's a way of judging any piece of media um all you need to pass the Bechdel test is to have two female characters have a conversation about something other than a man I looked this up before we started today. Okay. I, w- I would like to give you a list of some current films that did not pass the Bechdel test. If you say Schindler's List, I'm going to flip this table over. Dude, do you know what? I want to say that Schindler's List probably does. It does. Well, no, it's a male prison. Like it, it all entirely takes place in a male prison. So obviously it wasn't going to. Schindler's List? Sorry, I'm thinking of, no, I'm thinking of the prison one. Um, damn this is why we're not a film podcast yeah absolutely um like yeah hang on hang on what's the the, (laughs) um god what's the prison one do you stephen king do you mean um morgan freeman yeah yeah no yeah the prison one um the fact that you can't think of it as well is addictive is it because you keep thinking schindler's list yeah no no it's because i keep shawshank Shawshank Shawshank. i got shawshank and schindler mixed up I was going to say, because there's the little red dress at the end of Shinder's List, and that's like the most heart-wrenching moment. Yeah. Shawshank um, Redemption is the one that I doesn't imagine... pass the Bechdel test for obvious reasons. Yeah. But... It's the one that's used as like the example of just like, the Bechdel test is important, but it's not the be-all end-all. Yeah. Uh, but Lightyear didn't pass right. the Bechdel test. Neither did Despicable, the new Despicable Me film. Do minions have genders? Well, this is the thing. He has three daughters. Oh, okay, yeah, they should have. They definitely should have. <laughs> At some point in that hour and a half film that for children, they could have had a conversation about something other than a man. Yeah. And I thought that why wouldn't pass the Bechdel? Yeah, I was in I was surprised when you when you first made that assumption. Because then on the first issue I found the example of it. Well, yeah, and this is the thing, you found the example, but you didn't tell me what it was. So I I've got it here. I've been uh, waiting. So in the first issue. Uh, it passes because uh, there's a conversation between 355 and Dr. Frozen Hamad. Is that so, about the amulet of Helene? It's about the amulet and it's about... So, it, so, so there's a bit of a... I was going to get your opinion on this, right? They don't talk about a man specifically, but they do talk about the men in the country they're in and how they 
she the doctor is there i can't remember the reason she was there but she was there for some kind of women's rights related thing and the men were oppressing the women in that country so oh, it's man. it's i would say it counts because it's not about a male character it is co- about men in general it's about men in general but then you could be like if two women were talking about sports if they're talking about like football they wouldn't you wouldn't be like well was it men's football doesn't count then like i think two women having a conversation about football is better than women just talking about the male character in the story yeah i think so um i would say to me that counts but and i think there's a lot of instances of that count of other examples but i can also understand why there's not as many as you might think because there's a male protagonist who is the center of the story yeah and isn't that funny though he kills nearly he kills all the men but one and he still manages to put one of them at the center of his story. Well, this it's an interesting thing. I saw a review um, of the TV show, and I almost I was always going to have a copy of it here, and I just forgot. But it was uh, there was a woman in the Guardian. She did not like the the new why the TV show, right? Um, but what a lot of why she didn't like it was the story. So essentially, counts towards the comic as well. But she also makes a point of being like. Yeah, the Americans have just overturned Roe v. Wade. I'm not the most <laughs> pro man um, mood right now. And then she basically is like this man baby main character who I hate. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm I'm literally reading her review. Like, I understand where you're coming from. You probably should not have reviewed. It's it's difficult. It's like she she admits her bias and i'm like absolutely fair enough i understand where you're coming from yeah but also at that point in time when the show came out a lot of women were probably going to have that they were probably going to share that bias yeah no. so then, and then what i was about to say which i caught myself before was like maybe a man should have reviewed it <laughs> which is the worst <laughs> when you when you're so when you're so woke you go all the way around to sex absolutely yeah it <laughs> i've meets gone too up. far it meets up around the back it's like a mobius strip exactly so <laughs> i just thought it was interesting and as i i i appreciate that she said put her biases on the front and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah um she didn't like the story she didn't like there was a a main character who i think this is a good point to get into is the main character is not the opposite of masculinity but he's definitely like a poster child for arrested development of Mm, men who yes. haven't quite become men in the eyes of society and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, Yorick is and 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 I think I think this is one of the things that Brian K. Vaughan was working through when he was writing it was mm. actually on the cusp of true adulthood. Mm. So not the point where we are told we need to be adults. Like you hit 18 or 21 and it's like, you're an adult now. You need to be able to do X, Y, Z. In the 50s. Yeah, You're an adult now. You're going to have a wife and kids and a midlife crisis in a couple of years. Yeah, and a Cadillac and a house Mm. in the suburbs. But it's that point at which you are a self-reliant person. Mm. And Yorick wasn't quite there yet. I mean, he was at the point when the disease hits. He's a professional escape artist. He's an unemployed escape artist. Unemployed escape artist. And, you know, the the escape artist industry are f- famously always not hiring. Absolutely. Yeah, no, very rarely. We can never keep someone locked down. <laughs> I knew it. I knew front. you were going to say it. I knew you were going to go there. I knew it. We always try to keep people in the role. and some <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Ah, <laughs> oh, fantastic. This is the Jokes Podcast. Thank you for attending. Um, I do think one thing is interesting is there's on the 
dual purpose, him being an escape artist is not only a metaphor for, again, him running away, escaping responsibility, but it also is such an amazing cheat code for having a character who constantly gets out of situations. Yeah, it's it's a deus ex machina for him a lot, isn't it? Exactly. And that's a few, like what I was saying about his mum being the congresswoman. Yeah. There's so many things. Like Brian K. was like this really clever, like sets up these like, uh, what they call like the, you know, um, oh God, like a, a series of like a dominoes kind of thing yes. that leads into like a bigger, but he sets up all the pieces at the beginning and then he's like, oh, she's a congresswoman. That's why we know what this is happening at the White House. And he's a escape artist. So he had a key in his liver or something. Yeah, he swallowed a key. Um, and, it, and and he starts using that straight away. Yeah, Because exactly. he gets locked in the... Freezer? Oh, no, the safe of the it was White the House. It was the bomb shelter that they'd put in there for... Which one was married to Nancy? Ray, uh, Reagan. Yeah, the, yeah, the bomb shelter they put in there with Reagan with the good lock so that he wouldn't mm. wander out because he was riddled. Yeah, <laughs> great, great joke. Also, escape artist, any escape artist, getting out of a White House bomb shelter—that <laughs> like, might have been pushing my uh, my suspense of disbelief for a bit there. Do you think a little bit? I mean, I can't remember. I, I, he got out some clever way, but now you know, in the moment, you're kind of like, "Oh, that's clever," and then later, you're kind of like. Was that clever or was that bollocks? He worked out that if Nancy Reagan had dropped her joint and started a fire, mm. would there just be an alarm that rang somewhere or would the door pop open? That's, yeah. And, and so he set a fire and the door popped open. But also that's like relying on American ingenuity. It's like, <laughs> if he sets fire to so it's like, oh, they didn't think of that. <laughs> and now I'm just going to burn. And now I'm going to die in an inferno. Yeah. But again, that's that clever, clever story writing that, you know, just kind of works in this, in this scenario. Um, but I do think it's really interesting that you talk about Yorick and his Arrested Development because mm. he does, he has a particular type of, ineptitude mm. like but it's like a cho like he he's chosen to be like he's not he's he's very talented a person very resourceful yeah. but he's never applied himself and that's the very famous like man child epidemic of that kind of generation have you ever learned have you ever heard of learned helplessness no but i think i can ensure that it's people basically choosing not to be resourceful or so know. learned helplessness is fascinating um, a really good way of testing it is that you take two groups of people and you give them each a set of anagrams to solve. I'm terrible at anagrams, so I'm scared where this is going. You're fucked then. Right. Um, so the first group have three anagrams, all three of which are relatively easy to solve. The third group have three anagrams, the first two of which are completely unsolvable. The third one is the same third one that the first group had. And what you'll find is that the first group will solve the two easy ones and then move on to the third one, which is more challenging, but eventually solve it. The group that had the two unsolvable ones to start with won't solve the third one because they've learned helplessness. Right. Because they've, they've tried something twice, it's not worked. So by the time they've gotten to the third one, they're just completely unable to solve it. And that is absolutely where Yorick had gotten to at the start of the book. Mm. He's doing his amazing Yorick routine because he is fucked up another job interview he's not getting a job he's not able to pay his rent he's in this cycle of learned helplessness and that's such an interesting character to set up as your hero i will say i agree with most of what you say but if you gave me three anagrams and the first two were unsolvable fuck am i attempting the third one 
Like, it's learned helplessness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know if that was like, uh, well, you guess you don't have the, the stuff to make in the world. It's like, well, that's nah, just anagrams, mate. Just, you know, like. No, it. it's just human nature. It's just right. the way we're built. That makes more, that makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not, it's not a suggestion that, oh, some people are weak and they can't solve the third one. It's mm. that. Or they're just, they're, 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 they don't think to bother trying on. Yeah. The third it's one. human yeah. nature. Yeah. And so you've got a character that at the point where he discovers he is the last man on earth, mm. um, he is at that point of learned helplessness. Like he has mm. failed over and over again. There's an interesting comment as well on that, as I said, that generation of uh, the man child who... Kind of our generation. Exactly. Older millennials. That never had to strive for anything and that i think people will have all their different opinions on why that is some people say like oh they didn't have like a a war or anything to have to rise up to they did or, though well i think there's a lot of different factors i think the main one for me if i was to make a guess is that there was just less uh requirement for men to be the the breadwinner and the earner and the you know that kind of thing and that's not to say like that Sounds like it could go into a, an anti-feminist kind of like, oh, the women want equality, or but I don't mean that at all. You're but, getting a little. But I think oh. there was there's a there's a there's a growing pains when it comes to equality that a lot of men just didn't have these roles to fulfill anymore, and were just kind of at a loss because they weren't pushed into those things like they would have been previously. Yeah, like men needed a template to fit, and then that template was gone hmm. without the societal expectation to achieve. You had a lot of men who just didn't. And they yeah. wouldn't have if that expectation had never been there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think he's a good representation of that. And but because we empathize with him as at that point, and then when he rises as to the challenges as he goes on, we empathize with that as well because that becomes the whole protagonist. Like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And it's, I think, I agree with you that it's such a good a character to have in this kind of role. Yeah, and he went to great lengths to emasculate Yorick yes like there is a running joke in why i don't know if you've ever clocked it i mean go if it's not a spoiler go ahead yorick has a tiny penis i did not clock that at all yeah no. yorick has a small dick do we well so we we don't see it obviously no but so many women go for it during the story right because they're like you're not a man oh and there's a bunch of times where people are like one woman grabs his dick and goes you are a man but just barely like there's there's a whole bunch of times where it's implied that Yorick has a really small penis, but also could be grow and not show her. It could be a grow. Yeah, in fairness, he is very committed to monogamy. Um, exactly. <laughs> like he is deeply committed to monogamy as a character, isn't he? I think that's a very interesting aspect. A choice in the character as well is having a character who is committed to his girlfriend, and obviously see how that goes as the series goes on and everything. No spoilers. But it's interesting that like you were the the stereotype fantasy of like if you were the last man on earth and imagining men just like I'm gonna have so much sex like mm. I think it was a good um way to shake things up by having him committed to his girlfriend and he's trying to so one of the story beats as it goes on is he's they're not only trying to find the cure in him the to help hopefully have more men created in yeah, the future. Yeah. But he's trying to find his girlfriend, yeah, who at the time her. of the disease was in Australia. Yes. And they were long distance. So I think it was interesting. I think it was a good way to avoid like a almost like B porn plot kind of thing where because if he was single, it would have been like uh 
you can imagine it veering into like i've got to repopulate the earth kind of yeah, bollocks. yeah. whereas him being committed it kind of not only gave him a goal but also it kind of streamlined the story a bit and it gave it created tension between him and the doctor Yes. And 335. And also, great uh, reference to the Doctor. Who, uh, I found very interesting that she is Doctor Man. And yes. that's such like an on-the-nose, almost a nothing reference, but it's just like an interesting... like. It's a name that she chose as well. Yes, yeah. I she makes it that. very clear that she chose that name to westernize herself. Yes. But also, in choosing it, she inadvertently chose to her version yeah, of westernizing yeah. was also the most masculine name possible. Yeah, absolutely. Short of like mr cox or something you know yeah, yeah, yeah but i thought that was just like uh, enough to you know um enough to at least reference one of my favorite aspects of the story and the world in large is the amazons because to me they kind of represent one how the story is interesting because you imagine if all the men died i think a lot of especially a lot of like sexist men would have this idea of like oh the woman would be helpless they couldn't do anything mm. or you know how the woman would be that they would all turn lesbian or that you know all these assumptions whatever and everyone can have their opinion on whatever uh, uh, how one would react to this i think what's great about this and how brian k vaughan is he has every possible reaction mm. so whatever possible reaction a woman could have there's a group or an individual they've all across the board they all happen which is absolutely the way it would go i would like to know that what actually turned all of the women lesbian was being at home with their husbands for a year during the pandemic. Oh, for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I and I use the word "turned" really loosely there because I know discovered. that's not how it works. They, yeah, there they, we go. They rediscovered. Yeah, a, bu- a bunch of people, a bunch of women, were stuck at home with their husbands and came out on the other side of it and went, "Didn't realize I was fucking gay." <laughs> Till I had literally no other options. <laughs> But yeah, and the Amazons, I think, are such a interesting like they they're the hardcore. Oh, it's um, misandrist. Mis- is that the man hating? Yes. Yeah, um, the the extreme misandrist reaction to thinking that the the uh, disease was God's will, and not only are they glad the men are dead, but anything even close to man yeah. has to be eliminated as well. What I find fascinating about is that. He uses it as an opportunity. Um, I'm going to delve into spoilers. I can't... All right, let me just... Uh, before, I'll just wrap up anything... Any other pre-spoiler notes I have before we get into that. Okay. Um, uh, I love the building of antagonists as we go on. That'll be kind of more spoiler, but like... Yeah. He, he builds antagonists so well to kind of keep causing problems for them. Vaughn also is really good at making the opposite to whatever you expect happen. So I mm. think co- there's a constant thing, and that's kind of a spoiler in itself. But I love the like a- you constantly get to points where you go, well, obviously this is going to happen, and then he just makes the opposite happen. But he somehow manages to keep the story going with that, which is the hardest part because, like, famous example. There's um, say famous a niche example. You know Kevin Smith, the director. Yeah, he, yeah I'm aware of Kevin Smith. Yeah. When he made um Red State. Yeah, and that was a religious thing. He said he tried to do that with the story, and it's these religious people who think that the end of the world is coming, and they're basically sacrificing the unworthy in God's name and all that. Does all these opposite things, and he spoilers for Red State kills off like the protagonists, and as he goes, and the people you thought were going to live die, and all that. And he gets to the you know, the end of the film, and he said while he was writing, he was like, he had to call his friend up. He's like, I fucking ripped myself into a corner here, and he's like, why? He's like, well, the point where I've written myself now 
by trying to beat expectations, either nothing happens or the uh, end of the world. <laughs> like it has to be um what's the christian the rapture yeah, the yeah, rapture yeah. happens and then in the film nothing happens it yeah. literally is like a damp squib ending yeah but when he's talking to his friend and he's like i can't do the rapture like i'm gonna have to do the nothing ending and his friend was like spielberg would have done the rapture <laughs> <laughs> what a cunt <laughs> but it was such an interesting like you've you've got nowhere else to go yeah like, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's a credit to Vaughan that how he gets that way. Yeah. Uh, Although I sometimes feel that that stuff feels a bit awful. Whereas, like, he's a big fan of the Deus Ex Machina. Yes. Like, but he makes his own. So a, de- a proper Deus Ex Machina comes out of nowhere or is an incredible coincidence. Yeah. He lays the seeds for his reveals or yeah, saves suppose, yeah. later on. So at least he's making them in advance. The only issue is if you're kind of more savvy story reader comic reader tv film whatever if you're savvy enough you kind of see them early on yeah by making them not come out of nowhere you see them and you go okay that's gonna happen that's gonna do this for later that kind of thing but yeah he's he's very good at that sort of thing uh the only other thing he also because of the issue formatting he's very good at the cliffhanger reveal but again that's down to the formatting because it would be a monthly issue and then the next issue would have to like hype you up for the next month's issue and be like don't forget like next month we're gonna (laughs) gonna answer this big cliffhanger but when you read it as one go it's like 20 pages cliffhanger 20 pages cliffhanger 20 so it's you see that as it goes but i think it's good kind of how he did so yeah non-spoiler i think that's all the non-spoiler stuff we're now going to get into the details of just i'd say the first half of the entire run so this is the first um the first five volumes what i kind of got to which i think we'll yeah. we'll just cover if we so, even get that far. the amazons the amazons what i love about the amazons is, is how you hear them as a rumor at the start and then they yeah real. they're this insidious force yes and specifically the cutting off of one of their breasts to better fire arrows it's great it's one of the most metal things and it's such like a like the opposite of like the helpless woman like we yeah, don't know yeah, what yeah. To, we don't to do all the men going the world just like i've just cut my right tit off like, yeah i'm ready to go i've cut my tit off and i'm shooting a bow and arrow from the back of a motorbike exactly Fuck you. it's hardcore they're such a great enemy for right at the beginning because they're just like an ideological enemy so you haven't like built up any of the kind of nitty-gritty mm. of like the finding the cure and the other character and stuff so this is like a, from the base like yeah this is how they've reacted to the disease and they want to kill yorick for obvious reasons yeah absolutely mm. Um, yeah, no, they're fascinating. The thing that I find most interesting about them is that it gave him a way to talk about something really zeitgeisty mm. because extremism and particularly the deprogramming of extremists yes. was a really prevalent, relevant topic in 2002. Yes. A post, year after 9-11. Post 9-11. Post 9-11, he is straight in there talking about the methods of extremism. And the way that a common enemy or a scapegoat can be used to mobilize a brainwashed masses. And I think that's so interesting because that is something that would have been at the very core of the American consciousness at the time. A hundred percent, yeah. This idea of extremism and the rise of extremism was so prevalent. You look at any media coming out of America in the early noughties you can't help but talk about 9-11. And this was his way of talking about 9-11 without actually doing it. And what's very interesting 
slightly off topic is his uh comic run after this ex machina mm. the plot of that is the superhero who becomes mayor of new york spoilers for ex machina ex machina he becomes mayor because he saves one of the twin towers yeah and that's like the the whole political like well of course you're going to vote for the guy who stopped half of 9-11 but it's but, yeah it's just so interesting and this like the the way that you watch what's her name the red the one with the red hair victoria victoria the way it's, you watch victoria program mm, hero it's really good there was it was there were all in my notes as well yeah it's fact you know she'll say things like oh i don't want to bark orders at you like a patriarch yeah and that whole speech about the queen in chess mm. um it's fascinating and it is absolutely the way that an extremist would brainwash the masses it's textbook stuff. It's the way that fascist governments worked. You would take a scapegoat and then you would align yourself in opposition to it and use that to rouse the masses. And that's fucking fascinating to me. And he gave such a great portrayal of it. Again, I don't want to bring gender into it too much, but I think it's really difficult not to bring gender I mean, into it. Of this comic, it's, yeah, it's going to be. Generally, those figures would be male. Yeah. And yet Victoria was so strongly focused on femininity and the importance of femininity that it it just makes her this really fascinating character. And then by proxy, Hero is this really interesting character. So this was what, what I was saying about antagonists is her Victoria being the first antagonist yeah. is such a good use of like the enemy almost being the current situation. She's like representative of the yeah, most extreme absolutely. of the current situation. Um, great brainwashing. She like, she knows when to like be soft and be comforting and then be yeah. hard and strict and everything. Hero is like the one being brainwashed and yes. a good example of that. Um, and what's especially uh, I thought was very noteworthy is I love her monologue about the... Um, word cunt yeah the word yeah. cunt because i think it's it's just a really good interesting point of like of some some woman in the scenario is like oh, i hate that word or something she has like a reaction to it and victoria's Someone main calls one of the so one of the women that they take a motorcycle back off of that's it calls her a cunt and she says why do you think that's an insult? only in america would we make the name for our genitals an insult actually in britain that's a perfectly harmless word Mm. and i think that's so interesting yeah no it's well the point yeah she especially makes is that the reason that cunt and this is where we become the this with this is the sweary podcast now like yeah. we're, we're doing this we've said the word cunt five times enough in times a row. i think you said it right at the top so that anyone who's still <laughs> listening now you know what you got into you know what the problem is though it just means that we're only going to have listeners in america in britain and australia i think there's some in america who are like who don't as, as much of an I issue with it. I used the word cunt in America recently. <laughs> and everyone stopped. Well, we'd, we'd walked like three city blocks in New York next to this woman. And she heard me say the word cunt. And I referred to myself as a silly cunt. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't find someone. I was like, oh, you fucking silly cunt. Which is a perfectly normal thing for a British person to do. And she turned 180 degrees and walked in the opposite direction. <laughs> Because I had the audacity to swear in her presence. To be fair, if you didn't have the accent, she probably would have like 
had a go. Yeah, it's only the actors like these foreigners. They don't know better. (laughs) So how we get away with her? Absolutely. But I thought what was interesting point was that she not only references how old the word is, but specifically that it's only the word, not the only word, but the word that's considered the most offensive and least using in in polite society. That's not like a racial slur connotation or anything else. It's the one for female genitalia yeah. and that no word for male genitalia even comes close. So you can say every other word for dick yeah, yeah. and no one will bat an eyelid. But as soon as you say cunt, it's record scratch. Everything stops. Yes. And I thought that was a really interesting point because as soon as I read it, I was like, yeah, that is true. Like, It's absolutely true. Sense. And I think you can imagine a bunch of men being like, oh, don't don't bring that up. We're at the dinner table. But we'll say like cock and ass or whatever absolutely we will talk about our cocks all day and we will you know get drunk and swing them out or whatever i'll talk about my cock while eating a spotted dick but if you even (laughs) even suggest vagina at the dinner table i will throw up yeah yeah just violently vomit instantly exactly disgusting but yeah that was definitely a a very good a very good point of uh of brian to make Um, so how do you feel about because one one of the things that I found jarring on my second reading, so not the first time I read it, but when I went back to it before we did this, was how quickly um, Hero took to the brainwashing and mm. how easy it was for Victoria to program her. Well, they explain that, don't they? So after a while, they explain that it was kind of living in Yorick's shadow. That it, they did that, it. That laid the groundwork for her to be susceptible to this extreme situation later yeah so it wasn't like she was always this way but obviously victoria had this kind of thing of seeing what was in women that she could appeal to and bring them over and specifically in hero having a father that was a bit neglectful in a kind of he was he I think if I remember correctly, he would, you know, educate them quite a bit, mm. but he wasn't very warm and loving. Yeah. But he was also more uh, focused on Yorick yeah. and his achievements. And that comes about, there's a standoff where Yorick uses an incorrect version of the phrase, uh, we've crossed the Rubicon. You've crossed the Rubicon yeah. now. And Hero has to be like, no, it's crossed the Rubicon, yeah. as opposed to whatever he said incorrectly. He said, you're past the fucking Rubicon. And That's she it. said, no, you've crossed the Rubicon. And she makes a point of that their dad always, you know, taught them all this stuff and York barely, barely paid attention, but she knew it all, but dad didn't care that she knew mm. it all. And so that's the kind of explanation. And that, I think, is that kind of, that's one example of, of Bourne's, like, character building and explanations later on. Yeah. There's a great one, my favorite character explanation for actions at the very end, which I can't say, but... When you get to the very last issue, there's a great reveal of like, oh, oh this is why yeah, this character's yeah, been yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. But obviously we won't get into that. Um, but one thing that I do think is interesting, uh, there's only, I love this entire comic, there's one storyline I don't like. Ooh, which one? That is the one with the BDSM, um, you know, uh, the woman who has to look after Yorick while 355 and man yeah, do something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, And she basically... 773. Yeah. Yeah. She ties him up and she... Uh, it turns into this weird psychosexual... Beaver dream, yeah. Beaver dream of like... Um, it just gets really weird and... I really like that one. See, my only issue is there's a great point at the end of why all that's happening. Yeah. 
but the point i for me it doesn't justify it doesn't justify the means so yeah the point of that story is and i want though so this is very clever in the stories leading up to that yorick is constantly putting himself in harm's way to He's uh, suicidal it, isn't he yeah but to lay it to the benefit of the story so he 345 tells him wait over here don't come out and then they 345 gets stuck in some situation you just jump out and start punching yorick comes out <laughs> makes a distraction yeah, saves yeah. the day and she's like well thanks for saving me but i did tell you to wait here and that I noticed that the first couple of issues while on my second read and went, yeah, that's kind of getting a bit samey. Like that's that formula keeps getting used. And then we get to this issue and it, without realizing it addresses that exactly. Oh, because she, she treats him. Yeah. She, she treats his suicidal. Exactly. So they, he, through this weird BDSM, psychosexual, whatever, it gets to a point where she's like, you want to die, but you're too uh, cowardly to do it yourself mm. so you're putting yourself in harm's way in the hopes that you die and he's like yeah and then it becomes that realization i'm removing a cat mm. that realization is what they becomes the the way to mend that and for him to you know do better and actually address the situation very typical of the way we still considered mental health in 2002 exactly <laughs> i mean use sex to solve everything obviously yeah absolutely yeah, yeah yeah no like one very weird sexual experience can cure years worth of mental trauma yes um but my thing was i didn't like i didn't think any of the other the other shit to get there was necessary or mm. i think it was like to an end to a means of just like whoa he's tied up and she's got a knife and whoa this is crazy and then it's like oh turns out we're addressing this character flaw and i was and like some because hadn't 335 asked her to do that n- apparently not no so apparently yorick's like oh did 335 ask you to do this and i think she's like no but she told me that you keep getting into these scenarios yeah and this is what i do and it was also very kind of like i i was just praising vaughn for his setting up of characters and situations but then it turned into they happen to run into she was nearby and she specialized in this kind of again kind of coming into the brainwashing but it's almost like a self brainwashing almost yeah but um yeah i was praising him for that before and then i just that one didn't quite hit for me and it's a delicate balance of setting up stuff and paying it off later without it coming off as contrived i don't necessarily like some of his ancillary characters that much that's fair. I mean, with enough characters, there's going to be there, you know, yeah, and there are there are a lot of characters that come in and out of focus for an issue at a time and that we never see again. Um, I think this is really interesting because it's a man writing a lot of women, mm. and I think if this was being written now, actually, it would be hashtag problematic for one man to write that many female characters. Some of them are really good. Some of them are really interesting, like the new Beth. Yes, very interesting. Um, his the Beth that he meets, who has that amazing kind of theological knowledge and her her own way of processing her Catholic guilt. I think she's a really well-rounded, interesting character. But also, that might be because she's almost mirroring Yorick, and that yeah that leads to the spoiler of him having sex with this woman who's not his girlfriend yes because she and the all the opportunities he had previously she presents like his a mirror image of him almost yeah absolutely um and so yeah she's interesting i think the prison colony issue 
has a lot of well-rounded characters. I really like the old woman. Do you remember? She's the, great. The the the, the ex cons. Yeah, that, so that's a great story. They stumble upon a village entirely populated by the occupants of a female prison who got released as the disease hit. And one of them is an old woman who is a murderer. She killed her husband. And she is this by turns bitter, world worn, but ultimately very warm character. She is kind without being nice. Exactly. She is deeply unpleasant towards Yorick, but pays him a kindness. And at the very end, she says she's he's firm but fair. Yeah, at the very end, she refers. She says, "Oh, he's a sanctimonious shit, but he doesn't deserve to die." And I think that's beautiful because he had just been prophesizing about the fact that she fucking well did deserve to die. Um, and so yeah, there are times when he writes these really well-rounded characters, and then times where some of them fall flat for me. I think I think when he has such a variety of characters and they all are so interesting and complex. Some are going to hit and some are going to miss. I think that's just for any um, any reader. I think what really helps is because of the variety, you are going to have those ones you like and those ones that you don't like. Like, I guess by proxy, I'm not as much of a fan of the other Culpa Ring. That's the secret organization that 355 is a part of. That other Culpa Ring agent because I didn't like the story she was a part of. Yeah. Even though I didn't mind the character as such, but I guess I negatively equate that story to her. So, How do you feel about the Culpa Ring thing? I think it's another means to an end. You have to have a capable... One, you have to have an extremely capable uh, woman to guide Yorick, because yeah. he's not the slacker man-child. Um, it has to be of the highest ranking, so it had to be like CIA or FBI, FBI or something like yeah, that. Yeah. The culpering being a secret government organization uh, was just more interesting, adds mm. a little bit of mystery, which helps the story. Um, I think good overall, and of, as you said, three five five, amazing character. Love her, her, um, her character arc and everything as it goes. Can we get into three three five five? Because I think what one thing I think is really interesting is that she, in in Pierre's original sketches, she didn't start out as a black woman. Mm. She starts out as a white woman, and as Pierre's drawing iterations of her, you gradually see black features come in. Her nose gets broader, her hair gets... She she draws, starts drawing her... I think she started drawing her with more black facial features and then eventually started drawing her with natural hair. And so the her blackness wasn't a part of Brian's original characterization for the character. Mm. Because if not, she would have just already started drawing a black woman. Yeah. Um, And I think it's... An in, I, th- I, th- I think it's cool. I think, um, I think you... There's possibility to read into into some kind of like masculine masculinity being associated with the race as well as gender but then like in tv and film and popular media you dc you dc a lot of black women who are given more to do and more to deal with more autonomy sometimes more than white women like well it's the it's the trope of the angry black woman exactly and i think that's dangerous because 335 was not that no, she was incredibly capable. I don't think she rarely ever was angry, but I think it is a it is a misplaced idea of masculinity which gets cross-referenced with race when it shouldn't be, if that makes sense. Yeah, and intersectionality is probably an idea that was only just beginning to exist in 2002. Oh, for sure. And 
the fact that there's a good example of the fact of how few trans characters there are oh. in the original comic, but then they then put um, some into in the, the TV, TV show. show because and trans stuff is dealt with fucking horrifically. Yes, exactly. You 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 hear ev- any any trans man in the book is just referred to as a tranny. Yes, and the trans masculinity is invalidated consistently yes throughout the book and And the language is the language across the board like all language that you could consider like non-pc or cancelable or whatever it's rife in this because it's of its time of 2002 yeah absolutely and i think i think it's really important to note that actually whilst i really like it um i do i view the the kind of inherent don't know that i'd call it transphobia but the poor representation of trans people in it we should probably make across right now that we are two white straight cis males i am uh, i am the token cis white cis het man yes so these are what the opinions are worth yeah, whatever yeah. they're worth from the people they're coming from yeah and i think it's interesting because trans masculinity in this like actually having a stronger conception of trans masculinity would have made for a more interesting story. Mm. I think the idea of having trans men exist in this world to the extent that they would if it happened in 2022, not 2002, would have made for a richer, more interesting story. 100%, yeah. Um, But people just weren't there yet with the way they understood Mm. transgender people. And you can also also put down to, like, if I'm going to equate the the quality of the writing to the writer then i'm also going to say that the writer probably didn't have the the uh, information or the experience to include that like it's it's us it's saying that if someone didn't have like the ideas to put like fleshed out trans issues and characters into a story it's probably because the person at the time didn't have them and that's yeah. like it's it's you can put it down to ignorance and maybe a sign of the wider times rather than like an individual like choice not to. If yeah, they, no, if they I didn't don't, even realize the choice was there. It's so interesting because I don't think it's a failing of the writers, but it's hard not to view things in retrospect. A hundred percent. And you can only look at it at the light that you have now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's an ongoing discussion I've been having with people at the moment about the council culture more widely. And the way that we as a society respond to things that no longer exist in their original historical context. Mm. Really good conversation I was having recently was about Eminem. And it's that same thing of actually his work is really fucking homophobic. Um, But seen in the context of a rapper in the early noughties, it was perfectly acceptable. And so do we go back and edit those things out of our cultural discourse? Or do we enjoy them with the caveat that actually... You can look at certain elements of these things and say, I find that really problematic, but that's because with the rest of us, I've done the work to have a richer understanding of LGBTQIA plus issues or trans issues. You know, do, do we, do we take something like this and abstract it from its original context and then view it through our modern lens or do we take it and say, well, no, we have to look at it within the context of what was culturally acceptable 20 years ago, two decades ago when it was written. 
this is going to sound like a bit of a cop-out answer for me, but I also think it is the, the truth. I think it's both. I think it's... Yeah, I agree. You you have to look at it in today's lens, like there's language in the comic that I'm not going to start using now because I'm going to cite the comic like, look, see, they said it in this that came out in 2002. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm not... It's None of that's going <laughs> to... It was okay 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. So none of that's going to inform me, but I'm also not going to hold its feet to the fire like if a comic was released today that the same language if a comic mm. was released today and had the language from wide last man i'd be like you're a fucking idiot because you know better or you should know better people in 2002 should have known better but they didn't we know they didn't mm. because we've had to make strides as a society since 2002 so you you know you equate the person of the time and you say they wrote it because it's like this at the time and i think to keep going with it because i think it's an interesting thing to think about it's more relevant to a discussion about why than it is other media. Yeah. Really good example is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Yeah, I know exactly what you're going to, yeah. Any, if anybody that's, doesn't... That's, I will go, so I, I like that film. That is transphobic. Yeah, yeah. straight up. If, any, if, if you don't know what it is, pause, Google Ace Ventura trans. You will find the scene. Um, but it's fucking transphobic and it's jarring. Yeah. But it's in the middle of a Jim Carrey comedy. Whereas why is, at its very core, a rumination about the importance of gender? Yes. And I would, I'm more forgiving to why because it's portraying characters as they are. They're not meant to be, they're not all meant to be liked all the time. Yeah. Even Yorick certainly isn't. No, exactly. And that's the, the difference, like Ace Ventura being meant to be a comedy you're meant to just laugh along. So when people are laughing along to the transphobic jokes, that is inherently harmful. Yeah. Whereas like uh, uh, my, one of my most common uh, examples is a show like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, yeah. where they, the characters are explicitly meant to be the worst people that you've ever met. Yeah, absolutely. So when they do and say bad stuff, you are meant to be like, that is bad because they are bad people who are doing it. You are laughing at them, not the butt of the joke. Exactly. They are the butt of the joke. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think that's interesting. And I think, again, in a wider conversation about comedy, it's about not punching down, isn't it? You sh yes, exactly. But And it's relying on the audience being savvy enough to know who the butt of the joke is. Yeah. And some people think that if certain language is used, it, the the person of the, the the language the 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 people that the language is aimed at must be the butt of the joke. It's like no yeah. no the person using the language is the butt of the joke because we all have agreed that you shouldn't do this. Yeah, and they are ignorant of this. And I suppose this is the thing: there wasn't a cultural norm that had been set yet that stated that we had an understanding of trans people. Exactly. Um, but I still find that binary conception of gender that is like a central observation of the book mm. to be a little bit jarring now yes and it is it completely of its time and i would go so far as to say outdated for sure yeah it dates it. it this is the thing it dates it definitely it absolutely dates it and um yeah i have yeah i don't know where i'm going with the rest of this i point. think it's there's a lot of stuff in the book that if we're coming back to like not quite reviewing because we're not like giving a bloody mark out <laughs> 10 or anything but in terms of the book if you're going to read it it's a it's excellent writing but the negative is it's extremely of its time and you have to have that caveat when going into it yeah the hope is that with this the whole podcast is that people if you haven't read the book if you have read the book then you're kind of 
you know, joining into the conversation almost. Yeah. But if you haven't read the book, though, if it's a, something we like, or even if it's just interesting, that you will be inspired to go out and read this material and have your own thoughts and dis- internal discussion and all that. So the best we can do is at least give, as I said, good writing, but be wary of the language and the writing that's used and the topics and the way they're approached and yeah. everything like that. And I don't necessarily think that something being of its time is a bad thing. Like there are things that Depends I love. on the time. Yeah, doesn't it just? Yeah, no, I suppose you're right. Yeah. It's like this piece of media is from uh, late 30s Germany. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Bit dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> the most progressive person at that time probably still wasn't uh, by today's standards. <laughs> I laugh like Jimmy Carr. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. It's terrible. I think we've, we're coming around in a good way, and we've done almost an hour and a half on this. So yeah. I think we've... we've Do you ra- think that's it? I think we've we've got into the general big themes without spoiling the story. So yeah. I, I generally, in terms of like discussing the comic, the ending is go out, read these stories, read oh, it from issue to right. issue. So far. Exactly. Such a um, one thing we do have to end on is so one thing this point is we've only really covered half we haven't touched the ending but also no. we haven't got into it in such detail that we i don't think we really have to i will say yeah. the ending is one of the best endings to a story in my opinion ever i i would like to do a part two where we specifically talk about the last issue panel I, by panel i think we could do a, a a smaller mini episode yeah so literally like hit like the comic out in front of us almost like this is what we like this is what we don't kind of thing if you'd oh, like to hear that if you'd like to hear it please, then, send, please send your comment on a postcard yes uh we're gonna set up some we're gonna set up some stuff we'll do that at the end um okay. you know what i might do because i haven't set up any of the stuff yet so what yeah. i might do is record later at and home. just tack it yeah. well no no i mean like us later so like okay. i need to set up like a twitter and oh yeah that'll be tiktok fun. and an instagram whatever I'm excited for that once those are done we'll do like a recording we're later yeah we'll do tiktok i want tiktok but we'll oh, we'll tack it on to the end of this episode like even after it's published like okay, i just cool. like add it on later but we're gonna have like some means of contact and obviously we're gonna love to hear anyone opinion who would listen oh, to this yeah, podcast if anybody's listened like, if you exist like get in touch yeah say hello it's exactly. all good fun but one thing that we do have to end on, which is very important, which I'm just trying to find here, is uh, there's another cat on me again. That might be dangerous. So one thing that's really important that we do need to get into just before the end is alternate titles for the comic, which oh, yeah, I've great. written myself. I love it. Go on then. So, um, I'm, I'm sitting back in my chair and moving the microphone for this bit. This is uh, Comic Stan's alternate titles for a comic. It's going to be hopefully a recurring theme if I can be asked to write if them. If you keep doing them. Exactly. So we'll start off with, and these are, I whittled these down from like the shit ones to what I think are the best so ones. These are the creme de la titles. These are the creme de la creme of, <laughs> of titles. So we start off the most obvious. Why the <laughs> philosophical man? <laughs> okay, but it says specifically it's these are the best it, ones. It's not. It's not why. It's why. Why? Yeah. yeah, I get it with a question mark. And then we've got Sai, the boring man. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. But like, <sighs> <sighs> yeah, I'm with you. Um, the oh my, the surprised man. <laughs> Which is Yorick. Anytime something happens. Uh, We have Ty, the Southeast Asian man. How problematic. I mean, (laughs) the man in this comic is is exactly what it says on the tip. Absolutely. Um, We have Ty, the arriving man. Oh, I love it. 
but that's a two part because the second part is by by the leaving man, <laughs> as opposed to by the bisexual man, which was like the runner up that I I think I cut out. Is that the one you jettisoned? I think uh, in in favor of the two part joke, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Um, die the D and D playing man. Oh, that's good. Yeah, see, because die was an obvious one, but like with yeah. the dead man, like that's no fun. Yeah, the Undertaker. Yeah. yeah, that's no fun. Um, Fry the Futurama man. Mm, we're getting to the bottom of the list now, aren't we? I mean, well, we'll see how we go. Um, guy the man man. I mean, that's his guy. Know, he's a man. He's guy man man. Yeah, this one's a bit. It's a bit. It's a bit of like commentary, like societal, oh, uh, satirical. I'm leaning back but forward. It's, it's going to be very subtle, satirical, okay. uh, scathing humor. So I'm seeing if you can pick up on this, okay? Okay. Lie, the political man. Well, I mean, that's cutting. I, you know what? I just cut right to the, the you, right to the core of the, the issue. And I'll say anything, mate. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't stop me. Uh, this one, more, one is. More. Let's have one no, more. we've got two more. Two we've got more. two more. Second to last. Nye, the misquoting Monty Python man. <laughs> that took me a minute. <laughs> and last but not least, Pi, the Northern man. The I British. Mean, it's a local humor. Yeah, absolutely. It's a local British. Uh, uh, the up north, they yeah. love pies. If you're not from England, just Google the. If you're not from England, Google Pie Butty. I I don't know what that is. Well, it's exactly what it says on the tin, mate. It's a pie, a pie butty. It's a pie between two pieces of bread. Okay. That's Jesus, that's so many carbs. Oh mate, it's it's a it's a meal. No wonder the life expectancy is lower up there. Fucking is well. I w- I'd love to get like american and australian uh, uh listeners who are just like who learn about british culture through us because we're the we're a there. couple of southern fairies <laughs> hey i'm from east anglia yeah that's in the yeah well it's, it's eastern do are we in we, we must be south aren't we we're of the north south divide we're south aren't we we're south of birmingham so yeah yeah even though we're technically eastern so we're kind of like we're not like the north but we're like i don't like southerners yeah, but then I would say we are Southerners. I know, and I detest that about myself. That's it's, self-hating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hence my self-loathing. They're, they're like, I hate the South, but you are the South. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm depressed. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> All right, so we've ended on a high point, and I think that's good. Uh, we're going to have uh, all the information. We're going to cut it in. We're going to splice it into It'll the end great. here. It'll yeah. So, but we'll have a, a Twitter. We'll have a, a, a LinkedIn uh, for professional use. We'll have um, no. a, a Dreamcatcher, and I don't know if that's used for communications. <laughs> I really days. want a PO box. A PO box. Yeah. I desperately want a PO box. We'll get a physical PO box if someone wants to write us a letter. Maybe send us some anthrax in the post, something like that. <laughs> Because you can't send anthrax over email. I think that's... The, it's difficult, isn't you know, it? People it's on their phones it. bloody, you know, wasting their lives away. You know that. You know yeah. that spiel. But we're going to have all that. Uh, I will be launching a comic-based YouTube channel very soon. All I just need to do is learn how to edit video, and then I'll be uh, I'll be running. Um, but that will be under the Comic Stan name. Um, maybe you'll have... Maybe you'll do a thing. I'll do a point. thing, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, one day. Basket weaving. I'll do something. Yeah, we'll get some photos of the basket weaving. But uh, the main thing as well is once we've got all that information, that's going to be your job at the end of the podcast. I'm so excited. So I'll do the intro. You'll do the outro. I love it. I'm there for it. I'm there for it. And next episode, uh, we haven't quite decided yet. 
It'll be something. It'll be something, It'll be something good. good, yeah. Um, if not um, a little thing, big thing. I mean, the fact that we got a bloody hour and a half out of this, like we could do one issue of bloody... It's a bad comic. You know, we could do, do one you, issue of the Rick and Morty comics. No, well, that as well. But one thing I was going to suggest if we do at some point is there's a WWE comic. I'm there for it. It's probably Let me get Amber in for that one. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, we need a third mic. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> we'll get one. Once we've got the budget for a third mic, we'll do the WWE <laughs> comic as a celebration. <laughs> All right, that's a good way to end on. So thank you for listening. Uh, enjoy comics. Uh, read comics. Go to your local comic book store and uh, come back next time. Bye. Goodbye.